0: What's up? It's Chloe Pavlik.
1: And I'm Brandon Rhodes, and you're tuned into The Work. This week, we had a great conversation with Lexi Brown. She was a first-round pick in the WNBA, and now is a starting guard for the Minnesota Lynx.
0: You already know the WNBA has been at the front of social justice movements, and Lexi Brown has been vocal despite the backlash. Today, we have our first WNBA player on, a Duke graduate and a Minnesota Lynx star point guard, my homegirl, Lexi Brown. Welcome to The Work, sis. Thanks. Star, thanks for that. Appreciate welcome, it.
1: Welcome. Welcome.
0: <laughs> you know, we go way back, so I had to hype you up, but so our staple question on this podcast is, when did you first realize that you were black?
2: Oh, Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know you like said that this was going to be a question, I still like don't have a real answer. Um. I'll say I first realized I was black was when I was in middle school and I went to like an all-white private school and I think just up to that point, like, you know, you don't really, you're not like, you don't really like boys and you're just like, just one of the guys, like, you know, you get to that age where everything kind of just switches like, oh, boys need to be over there, girls over here. You know, you start getting little crushes on people and then like none of the like little white boys at my school like had a crush on me back. And I was just like, what's the problem? And I was just like, I just looked around and everyone else was getting, you know, liked. And I was like, well, maybe it's just cause I don't look like them. And you know, at that moment I was like, yeah, this, I'm not a white girl. And (laughs) that's when that happened, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, that's that seems like a a common story. A Chloe story is pretty similar to that. And I and I also went to um, I went to an all white school, kind of in really high school, so I had a similar experience too.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but one one thing that we found that was interesting, I wanted to ask you about. So so your dad, you know, Dee Brown, former NBA player, um, and you talked about going to private school and all you know, we read about his incident with police brutality when he was 21. Um, and he was mistaken for a bank robber and, and had police pull up on him. So did that, did you hear that story when you were younger? And did that impact kind of your view of kind of social justice, criminal justice reform, or or any of those things?
2: Um, I, you know, when I was younger, I never heard that story. Um, you know, yes, I'm a black person, but I, I'm still a female. So I just didn't think that having a conversation like that was completely relevant to raising three daughters. Um, you know, we knew like how to act around the police, like that we still, you know, we're going to be profiled that there was going to be judgments, but like, as a woman, like, you know, there's just, there's not that intense fear that men feel feel when they, you know, police officer pulls them over or stops them in the street or at the mall or anything like that. But when I, when my brother was born, um, you know, that kind of changed. And um, I don't know what kind of conversations that they've had. He's only 14 now. Um, So, you know, you don't want to terrify your kids, um, but you want to keep them informed. So um, I think middle school, high school is a good age to have those types of conversations and all the things that have been going on in the world kind of just started happening. So he had to have that that hard conversation with my brother because like me goes to a private school a lot of white people, a lot of white kids. So, I mean, we just have to make sure that he knows to, you know, be careful and be smart. Um, but hearing that that story from my dad was so sad and he doesn't really open up about a lot of things. So for him to open up to us about that, then we did another podcast, The Knuckleheads, he opened up on there. So that's like a very public platform. So, you know, I was really proud of him that he was able to share that um, because people think that, money, fame, success, like, protects you from from all that, and it absolutely does not.
0: That's so real, and I think that's the one thing that we've all learned. Like, it doesn't matter what you accomplish, what you get to, at the end of the day, you're still seen as Black and a threat. And I know you said you didn't have that discussion with your dad, but I know your mom, she's mixed, and I know she identifies as a Black woman, were there any discussions that she had with you growing up and how you would have to navigate race and gender?
2: Um, for us and for me, uh, she just said that you always have to be a hundred times better as a Black woman. And she's just always pushed me to, to be that um, on the court, off the court, in the classroom. You know, basically anything that I've ever done. Um, she was just like, you have to be the best. And you have to carry yourself in a way that, you know, maybe other people don't have to carry themselves and at first I didn't really understand but like even when you are a hundred times better like there's still question marks there's still are you sure like oh how did you get here Or like how did you achieve this or like even getting to Duke every time I tell people I went to Duke it's like they're shocked and I'm just like it's it's like it's school like you just have to be yep. a good student but um it just sucks that you could have all these things on your resume and at the end of the day, all they see is your color and then being a woman. So it's like a double whammy, which for some people is very hard for them to wrap their mind around that. Like that women are less, black people are less and we are both. So we are super less. So it's like people are struggling to wrap that like idea around their minds. And I like, I I, I can't even believe it. Like. It seem, it seems simple, but apparently it's not at all. Actually,
1: yeah, yeah. That's I mean that's real though. A um, hundred times better. Like, how do you take that, internalize that, and deal with that pressure? You know, to have to be at a certain level, but still know that, you know, you could still have these things coming at you from different angles.
2: Um, I don't really even see it as pressure because I think it's just the way I'm wired, the way I was raised. It's like I just want to be like the best at everything I do, anyway. And I'm a really hard worker by nature. So it doesn't really matter if there's a goal at the end, if there's an award at the end. Like for me personally, I just like to do things like in a certain way. And like when people look at me, they're like, "Dan, she like works her ass off. Like, I I love that. Cause at the end of the day, like you cannot take that away from me. Like the fact that you see that I work hard and I like, I take a lot of pride in that.
0: I I was just about (laughs) to say I can attest to that the way it didn't matter whether it was school basketball whatever it is you were going to be the best and you were gonna outwork everyone and, and work the hardest and I think what sticks out the most for me Lex is that I think we're all learning as black people the same conversations that you receive we've all received in some capacity right like we all the black experience, that's what's a part of it, right? right? We all get taught these similar things that white people, they they can't relate. They don't understand because they haven't had to worry about those things because of, of privilege. But I do want to talk about just how outspoken you've been during the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, mm-hmm. Recently, you tweeting out um, that black women are the most unprotected people on this earth.
2: And- a lot of people, which was shocking to me. Yeah. Yeah. I tweet out a lot of things and get like a lot of idiots messaging me and stuff, but like that tweet in particular like sparked a lot of upset like white men. Like that's what I got most of the the backlash from. And I wouldn't even call it backlash. It was just ignorance. But it was very surprising. I I thought I was very surprised.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think the one thing about Twitter that we're learning, well, just in general, like when we say how we feel, it's attacked. Like, oh, I can't believe you feel this way. And I, and it's more so like you're saying, you just don't understand my experience. You haven't lived this. So right. of course you don't understand when I say this and you disagree with it. Um, but for you, what prompted you to say that?
2: Well, that was... I think it was the day that the, the Breonna Taylor verdict came out. I was watching it downstairs. I was watching it downstairs. My mom was watching it upstairs. And they had just, um, they were talking about it and somebody on the news had like miss, um, they like misheard what the verdict was. And he said that it was like something with, I think he said it was either second degree murder or something and that's what we were texting about. I'm like, mom, no, like that's not what they said it was. And she's like, he just said it on TV. I said, mom, he made a mistake. Like, I think it, it was hard for him to believe that he misheard that. And, um, you know, the whole situation was so sad and the police officer was the one who shot her and that was awful and I cannot believe that he's not being held accountable for that. I mean, there's so many, I feel like they could have given him something. Like there's so many things that he could have gotten in trouble for. And the fact that he got in trouble for shooting at the other apartment, I think that's just like a slap in the face. So, you know, she wasn't protected by her man. She wasn't protected by the justice system. So who's gonna protect black women other than other black women? That's what made me tweet that. Um, But the, the, I mean, I got a lot of like positive reception to it as well. But, you know, obviously the negative is what sneaks out because it was like absolutely shocking and disgusting, so.
1: Yeah, that, that's definitely <laughs> shocking that that would be the response to it. I mean, I guess it's not surprising, but we'll say it, it's shocking. And, you know, for me, you know, one of the things that I, I think about is I've seen, as you know, my mom, my sisters have been vocal as well, um, but it just historically black women have always kind of led the charge for social justice for movements for change do you think that you know and especially we've seen the WNBA players take a lot of stances even years before you know now do you think that you know kind of what your your statement your tweet Do you think that kind of is some of the ethos behind why we're seeing that or kind of why black women have been at the forefront of social justice and leading and setting the example
2: um i just think I mean, I think it's ingrained in us as, as black women to just be to be strong, to be, you know, a protector of like a family, of a household, of your man, all that, everything. I just feel like that's just something that we are programmed to do. We have to fight so much harder for what we get, for respect, for love, for affection, like you name it, like we have to fight for it. Um, And I think that's why our league has always been so vocal because it is a league full of black women that really had to work so hard to get to that level. And we're professional athletes, some of the best athletes in the world, and we're still fighting people about our talent, what we deserve, Um, just little things like that. Like at the end of the day, we're still really good at what we do and it's all professions, it's not even just sports. And I feel like as a black woman, like you can't just be good at something. It's like, well, what did you do to get to this level? Like, it, it, it couldn't just been your hard work or your mind or anything like that. It's always a, oh, what what else? And it's very frustrating, but I've been seeing like just a lot of black women just uniting together, which that's something that you don't really, you haven't really seen often It's just black women just flat out supporting other Black women. And I think that's something that we're missing in our community. It's getting better, I think. Um, You know, just Black people in general supporting other Black people. I think that's something that we lack. Um, But I think this last six, seven months, um, you know, I think that's, I've definitely seen improvement from that part of our community.
0: Yeah, I'm with you, Lex. I think that's the best part of the movement. I feel like we are, as black women we are all being seen by each other and lifted up and you know you probably have this you have your own girl group right that is probably a circle of black women who you pour into each other whether that's you know about what just happened in your day um, showing you love gassing you up all that and it's something that we all need and is essential and especially like when i think about the workforce right because a lot of times, and even in school, right? You're not surrounded by that all the time. There's only certain times where it's like that, but when it is, it's just something that's so special. And so when we talk about your league, as Brandon mentioned, and you guys always being at the forefront, and I think it's over 60% of of the league is black, and I think it's over 80% um, identifies as black and women of color. When you look at your league, do you think that people would perceive it or treat it differently if the league was predominantly white women?
2: Um, definitely. Um, I mean, you look at like this women's soccer league. Um, I mean, I will say that, I mean, we are the most visible and successful women's sports league in the United States. So, I mean, I guess you can't really say that. Um, I think people just really love basketball. Um, and then even at the college level, you know, I'm still trying to figure out why that viewership and fan base doesn't translate to the WNBA. I still like I'm three years in the league and I still have no idea why it doesn't go from one base to another. Um, but I think that goes along with what you're saying about just you, you see a lot more visible white players in the NCAA. And you kind of see the WNBA try to push that narrative in the WNBA as well. And it doesn't really, I think this season was the first time where other media members and some players were like, why do y'all keep doing that? Like, obviously everyone, if you're hooping and, you know, you you deserve that, like you should deserve that. But there's so many other players with stories and that are talented and have amazing personalities and are hilarious and are brilliant. And they just kind of hone in onto this little group of players and I think they think that's what's gonna translate. And it doesn't, like, they've tried it for like five straight years now. <laughs> like, people are like afraid to talk about it. I was afraid to talk about it, but now I really don't care because it's just, it's like glaringly obvious. Um, so I'm just hoping that, you know, in the future, we're able to, you know, maybe have a little bit more to say about how they market us as players and how they market our league. Cause I don't think they do as good of a job as they could.
1: Mm, yeah that's real that's real yeah i think y'all should definitely feel empowered to speak up and i've seen it you know especially recently in in the bubble how everyone has been able to band together and swipe for the cause and I, and I love what y'all have been doing around say her name and kind of getting behind that and having all the different whether it's kneeling together whether it's having the names on the jerseys and all the different things you've been doing so along those lines like how do you see you all collectively kind of moving forward and continuing to fight for this because i can just tell by the energy that it's not something that y'all want to just kind of be a one-off thing you want to sustain it you want to make it kind of an action that the league sticks with so what are y'all thinking what's the conversation like around that
2: um it's just hard for us because you know so many players do go overseas for a long time so you know it's kind of hard to collectively do things um so that was like the one good thing about the bubble is that this was the first time that we were all in the same place. We could all have like, if something wasn't working, like the, when we decided to not play, like we all pulled up to the arena at the same time. Like we were all just sitting there talking about it and that's how that decision was made. And you know, in any other instance that like that would not be able to happen. Like, you know, you'd be in different states, different time zones, like it would have been a mess. So, um, you know, things like that made it a lot easier. Um, There's so many other initiatives that the WNBA is, you know, interested in and, um, you know, they feel players feel passionately about. Um, And that's what the thing I love about the WNBA is, like, they support, love, include everybody. So I don't see us moving forward strictly focusing on, you know, say her name and things like that. But I think that it now will become a very important part of the, like, league-wide initiatives, like, you know, breast cancer, pride you know, I think Say Her Name should still be, you know, a really important part of our league. But, you know, that's a conversation for next season. If, you know, we even have a next season, are we going to be in a bubble again? Like, there's so many question marks, but, um, you know, if they ask us if it's important for us to keep that initiative around in the league, I'm definitely going to say yes. And I hope that a lot of the other players agree.
0: Well, Lex, thanks for joining us. you have anything else that you want to
2: say to the people or that
0: you want to talk about?
2: Please go vote. Please. I know y'all seen that debate last night. It was a mess. I was like, is this real yeah. life? I had to leave. It's crazy. I stopped watching it. I couldn't watch it anymore, but um, you know, it's bigger than the presidency. I hope everyone understands that. He's like, just like the puppet of our country and all of whatever messed up things are going on and you know, other politicians areas and states and whatever. So we need to start paying attention and we need more black politicians. Say it a
1: fact, There's a part that
2: I'm like, why did I, I mean, I mean, I see why I don't wanna be a politician, but it's important. Like we need more representation. <laughs> like, so it's stressful. It's hard, I understand, but we have to vote and fix this because it's a disaster. <laughs>
1: Thanks everyone for tuning into The Work. Don't forget to subscribe with all your favorite audio platforms.
0: This week's work is getting involved with the Say Her Name campaign like Lexi, which brings awareness to the often invisible names and stories of black women and girls who have been victimized by racist police violence. To support their families and volunteer, make sure you visit aapf.org.